And we're going to be continuing through our series here, The True Christmas. And this uh, sermon title this week is The Joy of the Promise. And we're going to be talking about the joy that we receive from Jesus and uh, that gift that was given to us. And I, I wanted to start off with you guys talking about one of my favorite songs uh, around this time of year. And it was written about uh, 300 years ago. And it's Joy to the World. Who here has heard that song before? Yes. Everybody should raise their hands just about. Um, it, it's one of the most published uh, Christmas hymns in North America. And I, I love these words from it. It's, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And every year we hear... Um, reports. Uh, have you guys ever watched the news and uh, looked or looked on the TV or looked on uh, Facebook and you see that baby Jesus has been stolen from the manger? Have you guys ever seen that before? I know I typed it in uh, to, for this message, just looking it up, and I got 826,000 results on uh, Google, which is a lot of baby Jesus is stolen. Um, <laughs> one particular stood out to me. Um, it was a couple from Texas, an older couple, had set up their nativity scene, and they had done everything they could to protect it. They put barbed wire fence around it. They had security cameras, and somehow still teenagers had gotten baby Jesus and not been caught on camera or anything. Way too much effort to go, <laughs> go into that. But um, th- we see that every year, that that baby Jesus had been removed from the manger. And and instead of preparing him room, I wonder if we've allowed the Savior to be stolen from our celebrations. Our society has washed away the spiritual. And now I'm not talking about the war on Christmas, which uh, you'll see all over the news and in Christian publications. Um, And I actually saw this funny thing on the Babylon Bee where you have to uh, drop elbow on on Santa and then you have to turn all of the candy canes upside down so they're J's. Um, That's not the type of, uh, that's not what I'm talking about here. I think for some of us, The Savior has been swiped away from Christmas, and we haven't even noticed. How many times have you been uh, preparing for Christmas and uh, in the busyness of shopping and cooking and buying groceries at Walmart, which is the worst thing to do in the world because people stand in the aisle, um, or preparing for family to come over? How many times have you been uh, preparing for the Christmas season And all of that's jumbled up in your mind, and Jesus gets kind of pushed to the side. Are you aware that there's only one verse in the Gospels that describes the actual details of the birth of Jesus? It's found in Luke 2, 7, and it says, And she gave gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And I counted the verses that uh, recount the narrative surrounding the nativity, and I came up with 99. And that means that only about 1% of the Christmas account focuses on the actual birth of Jesus. The other verses that you see around it, the rest of the 98 that are surrounding, uh, deal with the various responses and the reactions that we see to his birth. And um, on top of this, well... The birth of Jesus is incredibly important because it explains how Jesus is sovereign, how he is sinless, 
and how he is substitute. Are you aware that the Bible never tells us to remember his birth? It's surprising, isn't it? We are told to remember his death in passages like 1 Corinthians 11:26, where it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And, and that's what we do during our communion is, is we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Um, but have, having said all of that, the birth of Jesus Christ is absolutely essential. Without the incarnation, there would be no crucifixion, no resurrection, there would be no ascension, and there would be no second coming, which is our blessed hope. That's what we look forward to is the return of Jesus. And without Christmas, there would be no forgiveness and no way for us to get to heaven when we die. So why do Matthew and Luke spend so much time giving the details of what happened before and after the birth of Jesus? Why do these gospel writers include so many people from, uh, you see different cultures, you see different generations, you see uh, different genders and different socioeconomic backgrounds? Here's why. The reality of the birth of Christ is essential. God puts all these individuals into the narrative to show that he is concerned about our response to the birth of Christ. And what I'd like to do over the next uh, few minutes is we're going to take a look at some of the responses um, of the people that are surrounding this nativity narrative. And what I want you guys to be thinking about while we're going through it, there's going to be some challenging questions. There's going to be some things that are going to be hard-hitting But think about how this applies to your life. The first person that I want to look at is Herod. Not Jared. Herod. Um, My name has two two R's in it. And uh, everywhere that I go, people misspell it. I've even even seen it spelled like this, which they are just way off track. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) But um, we're talking about King Herod here. And Herod hated In uh, Matthew 2.16, it tells us when King Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in uh, Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. The word tricked that we see here is translated as mocked, trifled with, or made a fool fool of. So this is the king of Israel here, and he is being made a fool of by these wise men. And so what is his response to that? What is his response to being made a fool of? Well, he becomes furious, which uh, means he was violently enraged or exceedingly indignant. Herod then does something um, that in Old Testament um, they would parallel to Pharaoh, Um, And now more in modern times, you would think of Hitler or of Stalin. And he orders the cold-blooded murder of all males less than two years of age. Herod the Great became the butcher of Bethlehem. Are our hearts filled with hatred and hostility today? Are we angry with Emmanuel? During this Christmas time, during this season... Let's take some time to reflect on that. Let's take some time to think, God, am I angry at you? Am I harboring resentment towards the King of Kings? I'm here to tell you guys today, Jesus loves you. Jesus came for you. Jesus died for you. He is the ultimate gift. We have to let go of that hatred as hard as it can be and as hard as those hearts can be in our lives. And we have to give it all to him because Jesus 
is our Savior. The second group of people here I'd like to look at is the religious of the time. And what did the religious people do? Well, the religious rejected. When Herod heard the wise men uh, were searching for the one born king of the Jews, he called in the religious experts um, and asked where the Christ was to be uh, born. In Matthew 2, 5, it reveals that they knew right, the right answers as quickly as they quickly quoted from uh, the Old Testament prophecy from Micah 5, 2. They say, in Bethlehem of Judea. They knew the answer, yet refused to make just the five-mile journey to Bethlehem to investigate for themselves. They were just going through these uh, religious motions and were unwilling to mobilize their faith. I wonder if any of us here are struggling with that. You know the right answers, but they don't impact your life. And this might be a difficult thing to admit, but your actions may reveal, in fact, that you've rejected Christ. Earlier, Sean was up here, and he was talking about how our uh, beliefs uh, will form our actions and what we do. And when we really hold something, when we really believe something, it's going to force us to react. So maybe if we are uh, not reacting, that's showing something reflected in our hearts. The third group of people that I'd like to look at today are the wise men. And the wise men worshipped. See, while Herod hated and those religious leaders uh, rejected, which we will you see time and time again throughout Jesus' ministry, how the religious were rejecting some, uh, some wise guys dropped to their knees in worship. Matthew 2.11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. See, uh, to worship here literally means to kiss towards and to intensely adore They somehow knew that this child that they were looking at would one day rule the world and they were not ashamed to fall on their faces before him. Now, think of these these wise men. Um, They are offering these really extravagant extravagant gifts. They have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of them are really expensive. So they probably had a lot of money, very wealthy people. And they're coming and they're falling on their faces before a baby. I want you guys to think of the contrast here. The wise men were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They weren't a part of this uh, promised kingdom that um, the Jews were a part of. They they followed the stars instead of the scriptures. Um, While the religious rejected, these secular scholars made a trip across the desert to find the newborn king. The religious leaders weren't even willing to go the five miles to see what had happened. Yet they traveled across the desert. What about us? Are we ready to go after him and to give and then to give him all that he deserves? Jeremiah twenty nine, thirteen through fourteen says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. Will you stop worshiping yourself or someone else and worship him alone? We give up ourselves so that we can seek the king. 
It's not an easy thing to do, right? To drop all the things that are important to us, all the things that uh, matter most, and go after Jesus. Sacrifice. The fourth response that I'd like to look at this morning um, is from Joseph. And Joseph journeyed. With his fiancée pregnant and knowing that he was not the father, uh, Joseph was willing to go on a faith journey. We see this in Matthew 1, 24 through 25. It says, When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And and, uh, Joseph did not just make the one journey that we all think of, um, that journey to Bethlehem and thinking about how hard that would be with your wife pregnant and you're crossing all these miles of land and not even knowing where you're going to stay when you get there, how difficult that would be and the position that Joseph was put in. But he did that not just once, but three times. He also traveled to the dedication of Jesus, to dedicate him at the temple. He also traveled to Egypt to protect him. Joseph journeyed. Are you willing to begin a journey with God? And then do what he says, no matter what the cost is. So, so far, we've seen four responses uh, from Matthew's account. And what I'd like to do is kind of turn the dial here, um, shift a little bit, and we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we'll start off here looking at Mary. And what did Mary do? Well, Mary magnified. Mary's mission is kind of summed up in the opening lyric of her song found in Luke 1, 46 through 47. Um, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And what we see here, the word magnify means to make bigger. So while Mary magnified God, she saw herself as minuscule. And this is most clearly demonstrated by her declaration of faith that we see in Luke 138, where she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In essence, she was saying, I am yours, and I will do whatever you want. Whatever you want. We then read that Mary took the time to reflect on all that was happening. She deliberately took everything in and notice the words that are used in chapter two about mary uh the first word i'd like to draw attention to is treasured which we see in luke two nineteen, and it says but mary treasured up all these things and the word to treasure here means to preserve it means to keep safe or to keep close to turn over the second word i'd like to look at is pondered and we see that in Luke 2.19 as well. It's pondering them in her heart. This is a compound word that suggests that she brought all these things together in her mind. And the third word is marveled. And we see that in Luke 2.33. Uh, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And the word marvel that we see here means to admire or to wonder. Do you think life is all about you? Or are you seeking to make God bigger? Like I said, it's easy to focus inward. It's easy to think about all of the craziness of life, especially around this time. I mean, go down 610, Route 1, 95. There's busyness everywhere. But are we making God bigger? 
Are we magnifying the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Take some time this Christmas season and think about how we can magnify God and respond like Mary did and treasure these things in our hearts. Marvel. Because it's amazing. It is amazing that Jesus came down and gave his life for us. The sixth group that I'd like to look at here are the shepherds. And the shepherds shared. Uh, If you want to learn more about the shepherds, you can listen to the sermon from this past weekend. um, And we talked about how the shepherds were of the lowest class that you see in uh, this society in Israel. That they were dirty, they were unclean, they weren't allowed into synagogues, temples, they were outcasts. Um, and in Luke 2.17, 2, we read that the shepherds, um, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. See, the first thing that they did was bounce to Bethlehem so they could see this baby with their own eyes. And after the shepherds uh, saw that Savior uh, in the straw, they shared with everyone what they saw. The phrase made known means to make uh, make known in such a way that people can understand. Has it been a while since you've shared what the Savior has done in your life? Guys, we've been given a gift. This gift is not just meant to be hoarded or held onto for us. It's meant to be shared. When we believe that Jesus is the only way that we get to have a relationship with God and the only way that we're going to get into heaven and get to spend eternity with him, we should feel compelled to share that with others. So open your heart to that. Open your mind to what God has for you because he is going to push you, the Holy Spirit is going to push you into uncomfortable spaces to share what Jesus did. Uh, The next person that I'd like to look at is Simeon. And Simeon was saved. Simeon um, was in the temple, and at just, he was there at just the right time. And he saw the Savior when Mary and Joseph brought him to be dedicated there. And Luke two twenty nine through 30 says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. See, Simeon had been promised that he would see the Savior before he died. He would see the Messiah. He knew it. To see Jesus is to see God's salvation. So when Simeon took the baby Jesus in his arms, he said, Lord, I am ready to go home now. I can die in peace. When we see Jesus, when we read about what he's done for us, we see salvation. We see our way to having a relationship with the Lord. How awesome is that? How much time do we take to sit down and think, God, you're amazing. What you're doing, what you've done for us and what you continue to do for us is amazing. Thank you. Eighth is Anna. And Anna abandoned all. The other Christmas characters uh, waiting with anticipation in uh, the other Christmas character waiting in anticipation at the temple was Anna. And uh, she was... After her husband died, she dedicated herself to fasting and to praying. We see in Luke 2, 37 through 38, it says, She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to, 
of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. When Anna saw Jesus, she gave thanks to God and spoke of him to all who were waiting to be released from bondage. The bondage breaker. Do you need freedom from your hurts, from your habits, from your hang-ups? Do you need to be released from an addiction? Anna was all in. Are you ready to abandon all like she did? See, when we give everything to Jesus, when we give everything that we are, even the hang-ups, even the things that we struggle with, we find freedom. And Jesus is the only person that we're going to find that freedom. And there's, there's nothing on this earth that is going to fill that uh, hole, that it's going to substitute um, the hurt. Jesus. Is there a response that you're ready to make? Christmas is all about uh, God giving the greatest gift ever. But a gift demands a response. And today we've looked through uh, eight different responses. But if you think about it, there are really only uh, two different responses that we see. You see that uh, we can either reject the gift or receive the gift. How will you respond to God's gift? Think about this. If you don't receive it, you've actually rejected it. One of the things that makes a gift special is the realization that the person who gave you the gift uh, spent some time thinking about what, it, what they were going to give you. It involved thought and action. There's often a cost involved. If you push it away or if you walk away, you have rejected the greatest gift ever and you will spend eternity in a place called hell. And, and let me be clear. You don't have to do something really bad to go to hell. All you have to do is nothing. And that's where you'll end up. But there's good news. And that good news is that you don't have to go there and you don't have to do any work because it's all been done for you already. But you must believe that Jesus died in your place and rose again on the third day. And then you must receive him into your life. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And Stephen uh, Lawson puts it like this, Salvation is not a reward for the righteous, but a gift for the guilty. There's something about Christmas that demands a response, isn't there? So um, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if this is something uh, that you're, you're hearing about for the first time, today is the day to do it. Maybe you've been thinking about it for a while and just said, hey, Jesus, I, I just am not sure when the right time is. Now is the time to do it. Um, I'm going to be in the back. The elders are going to be in the back. We would love to pray with you. If you've already given your life to Jesus, but you feel like you've been in a slump, You've been in the Christmas slump, the Christmas blues. You're feeling like you're really struggling. Come find us. We're going to be in the back, and we'd love to pray with you, and we'd love to connect you with a group that's going to gather around you and be your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the gift of Jesus, and we thank you for the awesome things that you have done for us, that you gave your son 
Father, as we go through uh, this day, this week, this month of December, that we remember that this gift is not to be held on to, not to be hoarded, but it's to be shared. That we need to share with everyone the gift of Jesus. Because to see Jesus is to see your salvation. We ask these things in your heavenly name.